Let me ask you a question. Imagine with me for a moment that you are invited to be a guest on a nationwide television show. And with the cameras rolling and the lights shining, the interviewer asks you this question. Who was Jesus? What would you say? Knowing that this is going to be broadcast to millions of people, that it's going to be uploaded to social media, and everyone will hear what you have to say, including your friends and those people who are not your friends, your, your coworkers, your family. Everyone has potential to hear what you are going to say on the other end of this question. What would you say? And how confident are you that, that you would give a good answer or, or even an adequate answer, considering the weightiness of the person of Jesus? Well, this question was asked by a person interviewing Bono. And, and to be fair, his name was, his name was Gabe Burnett. It was a series called uh, The Meaning of Life. So Bono, in a sense, knew what he was walking into. He was going to be asked some weighty questions. And as a person who professes to follow Jesus, Bono probably knew that this question was coming. And so the interviewer asked, who or what was Jesus as far as you were concerned? So that's the question. That's, that's what's teed up for him. And this is what he said. I think it's a defining question for a Christian. And I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a philosopher because actually he went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was nuts. Forget rock and roll messianic complexes. I mean Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that whole millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years have been touched, felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just don't believe it. That's a pretty good answer, I think. And it's not just an important question for Christians to answer. It is an important question for each and every one of us to answer, no matter what faith we hold to or what we believe. This is a premier question that we ought to be able to answer with some degree of accuracy. Now, imagine you're not on television before millions of people, but you're in a, a personal meeting with Jesus himself. And he steps up and asks you that very question. Who do you say I am? There you are face to face with Jesus. How would you answer that question? Well, we're going to look at an episode in the life of Jesus in which he asked his disciples, that is his students who had devoted their lives to following him, this very important question. And he does so because they are at a turning point. They have been with Jesus for several years now. They've seen him do amazing things. They've seen him heal. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen lives changed and transformed by coming to terms with who Jesus is. And so now he, he asks them this very question. And so what I'd like to do for us is to invite all of us to go back in time and hear Luke, this gospel writer, report for us this very episode in the life of Jesus. And so as Jesus and his disciples pull away from the crowds and they have a personal retreat together, let's hear what they have to say. We're going to call our study today the most important question in the world. And I'm trying to be over the top with that because this is, in really strict terms, the most important question in the world that we can ask 
and answer. So let's pause for just a moment and go before the Lord and ask him to teach us through this time together in this gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we all would probably agree that Jesus is a very weighty and significant person. We would have a hard time thinking of someone who had the kind of impact that he has had throughout history. And yet we don't want to just think highly of Jesus. We want to get him right. And so help us to do so this very morning. Some of us have been raised around the church and we've heard the things of Jesus. And some of us have read the Gospels and, and we've seen some of the amazing things he did. Others of us here perhaps are, are just sticking our toes in the water, beginning to understand who Jesus was in the first place and what he said and what he taught. So, so wherever we are, whether we come in here this day strong in the conviction of the things that he taught or whether we're wavering or whether we just have a lot of questions, would you meet us this day? Help us not only to take Jesus seriously, but to come to grips with who he is and what he has come to do for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is what Luke wants us to know about this turning point in the life of Jesus and his disciples. He tells us in chapter 9, verse 18, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So we've been reading this gospel account up to this point. We know that the crowds have been inundating Jesus. The disciples could not get time alone with him. They're even having a hard time finding time to stop and eat. And so now they are away and no doubt completely exhausted. And Jesus goes off a little bit by himself and he's praying alone and his disciples are with him. And it's interesting, Luke especially points out for us over and over again that Jesus was always praying. He was always wanting to converse with his father. And he oftentimes would do so ahead of very important things that would take place. And no doubt he's praying about the question that he's about to ask his disciples. And so he stops praying and we're told he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? He has sent them off on their own to, to preach his message. He knows they've been interacting with all kinds of people. No doubt everyone is amazed by the things of Jesus. But who are the crowds saying that Jesus is? This is the question that he asked them. And, and there's no more important question that we can ask today about our own culture. What are people saying about Jesus? What do are, what are people in your family say about him? Your, your colleagues at work? People in your neighborhood? Verse 19, we're told the disciples answered him, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Now, we have privileged information knowing that John the Baptist has been killed already, but maybe not everyone in the crowds had heard that this forerunner of Jesus had his head chopped off. So some people are saying, maybe he's that guy that we had heard about calling people to turn back in faith to God. Maybe he's John the Baptist. Others are saying, no, he, he's Elijah. He's, he's that prophet of old that we, that we have been wanting to hear from again. Or maybe he's one of the other prophets. And we don't know if maybe they meant that literally or, or just figuratively. But everyone is saying that Jesus is a, is a person of God. That he is a great speaker. That he is in the line of the prophets of old who came and spoke piercing truth to the crowds. And so it's interesting, just looking at the response that the disciples gave about what people are saying about Jesus. They're speaking very highly of him. 
But as we've seen over and over again in the scriptures, it's not enough to speak highly of Jesus because you can speak highly of him. You can say some really good things about him, but you still cannot be speaking highly enough of him. For example, there's some people, famous people like Napoleon Bonaparte, who spoke very highly of Jesus. He was not a follower of Jesus, but listen to what he said. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Let's pause it for a second. I mean, that's high praise, isn't it? I mean, he is speaking very highly of Jesus. He goes on to say, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what do we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. I mean, that's true. Truer words could not be spoken. But he's still not speaking highly enough of Jesus. Because he didn't give his life to following Jesus as Jesus really is. How about Albert Einstein? He said this, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. That's pretty amazing words as well. To be so enthralled with who Jesus is, to read about his life and sense his presence in the very words that you're reading, that's amazing. But he didn't give his life to follow Jesus. And even though he's enthralled with him, he still doesn't get him. And so the disciples answered and said, John the Baptist, this is what the crowds are saying, John the Baptist, the others are saying Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. I mean, the people are, are speaking highly of Jesus. But then he gets personal. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? In the original language, the word you is thrown to the beginning of the sentence. It is very emphatic. We could translate it like this. But you, who do you say that I am? Now, Luke has already been wanting us to answer this question. As he's told us the story of Jesus, we have seen the question, who is this, on the lips of the religious leaders. We have seen it on the lips of the disciples. We've even seen it on officials of the Roman government, like Herod. Who is this person? Now, Jesus, in a moment of, of personal intimacy with his disciples, brings this question to a head. There is no more important question that they can be answering correctly at this point in time. And this, the reason for that is quite simple. The answer to this question could set in motion a revolution that could turn the world upside down. They have been following Jesus. They've been putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Are they ready to now say who they believe that Jesus really is? So he says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, I don't know if, if maybe Jesus asked them this question and they all huddled up and said, what, what do we say now? This is a really important question. Uh, who's going to say it? Andrew, you tell him. No, John, you tell him. Peter was like, oh, okay, I'll tell him. I, we don't know if that happens. It, it seems like 
what Luke is doing here is Jesus asks this question. Peter, who often served as a spokesman for the 12, and sometimes would put his foot in his mouth because he sometimes spoke before he really thought about it. He steps up and answers this question. The Christ of God. Now, this is a very loaded term. Many of us look at this and we're like, okay, that, that seems a bit anticlimactic. And maybe some of us are going, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. Right? That's you know, the way our culture describes them all the time, right? But he says, you are the Christ of God. The New Living Translation, which is really a paraphrase of, of the gospel, actually gets it very right when it says, when it puts these words in, in the mouth of Peter. You are the Messiah sent from God. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word that we read in the New Testament that's translated Christ. It's the, it's the same meaning, and it comes drenched with meaning. It means the anointed one or the chosen one. But we still need to understand what was the significance of that being said. Because this does have the potential to ignite the world. This does have the potential, if you say this in the wrong crowd, to get you crucified. And so what did the disciples mean by that? Now, to understand that, we have to, to draw on their collective memory and some of the writings of their scriptures. And they know that as far back as Father Abraham, God had promised to send someone who would bring about worldwide blessing. They know that King David was promised by God to have an heir, a descendant, who would rule in righteousness. And all the nations would come and bow down before him. This got crystallized in something that is recorded for us in the book of Daniel. He sees this vision of the future and he writes, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that is God, and was presented before him. So here is this human who comes and is presented before God. And to him, that is to the Son of Man, to this human, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when the disciples say, you are the Christ of God, you are the Messiah sent from God, in their minds, they have this figure who would be the king of kings and lord of lords, who would have worldwide dominion. He'd be the one through whom God would set this world to right and administer justice and peace, and everyone would flourish. So they got this answer, the Christ of God. This is, this is where Jesus has been leading them. They need to understand who he is. So now, surely, they are ready to go, right? They got the right answer, and they're ready to take this world by storm, right? We're told in verse 20, then he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Verse 21, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Wait a minute. Isn't this the right answer, Jesus? We would be thinking that he would strictly charge and command them to tell this to everyone. Why doesn't Jesus want them to say this to everyone? Surely this is where his movement has been going. This is what he wants people to know, right? 
in a sense, Jesus is saying, in the words of the sportscaster Lee Corso, not so fast, my friends. <laughs> because what they wanted in their idea of a king was a military commander who would overthrow Rome. They thought their biggest issue that they faced in life was political oppression. And so they were ready and were told that the crowds were wanting to make Jesus king. There's this groundswell around Jesus that if he just gives the word, there are people who are willing to go take on Rome and go to Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman Empire. Take back their land, take back their temple, take back their rights as a people to exist on their own. But the reason he told them not to tell this to anyone is because their conception of his kingship was distorted. He doesn't tell them, no, I'm not the Christ. But he tells them this. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's not what they were expecting to hear at all. And as I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about what would this look like visually if it was a text? And this is just kind of a tangent I went on for a moment. Some of you might be able to appreciate this. I was thinking if this was a communication over text, it might go something like this. Jesus has the emoji that he's been praying. He pops the question on his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter responds with an emoji that has the crown and the hands up. Praise God sign, right? But then Jesus, in a sense, says, do not tell this to anyone. You can imagine Peter might be thinking in his head, what? What? Why not? And Jesus gives the emoji that he has to be crucified. But then there would be a, a glorious day beyond that. Then comes the kingship. Then comes praise. And Peter maybe would respond by just dot, dot, dot. Now, Thank you for indulging me in that. I'm a very visual person in case you haven't noticed that. And I just got off on this tangent. But this, I think, captures some of that interchange of what was going on there. He asked them this question. They get the right answer. Jesus says, do not tell that to anyone. In fact, what you need to know is that I'm the kind of king who's going to go and be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over by the religious authorities. And I'm going to be killed. And I'll rise again on the third day. Now, there, there are times when, when my kids were younger, when they were in the room that I was in, and they were within earshot, and I would tell them something, and it did not compute. It's like it went in one ear and out the other. And I wonder if this conversation with Jesus just went in one ear and out the other. It's, it's not computing, because in their mind, the one who's the Christ, the Messiah, isn't going to die if anything, he's going to distribute death, especially to the Romans. And who, I mean, rise on the third day. We know there's a resurrection coming in the future, but this doesn't make sense. This is exactly why Jesus didn't want them talking about this yet. Because although they focused in on some scriptures which they loved to hear about the coming king, there are others that they were either tone deaf and couldn't hear, or they just simply ignored. Consider this passage from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is descri describing this, this coming suffering servant, and it's described in very vivid detail 
in Isaiah chapter 53. This is written about 700 years before Christ set foot on this planet. And, and listen to how this description of the coming king, this suffering servant, is worded. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was, uh, who considered that he was that, I'm sorry, I have this, trans, this wrong here. Who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. They did not have this suffering servant in their idea of the Messiah, the one who would be sent by God. All they could hear about was victory. All they could hear about was Israel would be the, the queen of the nations. All they could hear about was life would be exactly how they wanted it to be once that king came. This king's not going to die. He's not going to be killed. He's not going to be put in a grave. That doesn't make sense. And so because they had no category for a king who would die, they had no category correctly for what the word Christ meant. So they answered it correctly, but they were speaking of things they didn't really fully understand. So why does Luke record this question for us in his biography of Jesus? This is a turning point, not only in the life of Jesus, but also in Jesus' disciples. He's been with them for several years, and it's not enough that they speak highly of him. They really need to get him. And the misconceptions they have with even saying the right words need to be filtered out because they need to understand that Jesus came as a king to lay down his life, not simply for them, but for this world. And so if I can bottom line, for it, bottom line this for us, it would be this. Jesus is the chosen king sent by God with a mission to become the savior of the world. And the path to becoming the savior of the world would be way of crucifixion and an empty tomb. So let's apply this uh, scriptural lesson to us this morning. First of all, let us ask and answer this question from Jesus about Jesus for ourselves. I want to ask you to dare to believe that Jesus cares as intentionally and as intensely about your answer to this question as he did his original 12 disciples. He wants you to get who he is. 
And we need to get who he is because the implications are massive. This is not just simply a good question. As Philip Reichen said, this is the most important question in the world because Jesus is the most important person in the universe. Each and every one of us needs to come to grips with this. The crowds that we live in need to come to grips with this. Our whole world needs to come to grips with the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And so let me say to you just a few things. If you're here and you find yourself curious about Jesus and you're just wanting to learn more, know that this is a great place for you to ask your questions. I want you to know that in one sense, you have as much time as needed to kind of understand the gospel message and its implications. And we want you to be free to ask those questions. In fact, we want you to, to ask those questions even more quickly because this is such a pressing issue. This is not just a, a side interest that might be kind of a hobby. The answer to this question has massive implications. So yes, ask those questions and, and do so here. Come back week after week, as we open these scriptures, read the Gospels for yourselves. Don't let yourself rest until you fully understand all that God is for us in the person of Jesus. And if you're here today and you are skeptical and you're not sure what you think about all of this, let me just say I understand skepticism. I find myself a skeptic in so many things. And so asking questions is a great thing and having an open mind is a great thing. But as it's been said, an open mind is meant to close on the truth. You're not meant to endlessly wonder if 2 plus 2 actually equals 4. You're not meant to, to leave it open-ended, whether if you step in front of a bus, it will run you over. <laughs> Your mind is meant to close on the truth that, yes, it will. And if Jesus is who he says he is, your open mind is meant to close in on that truth and to hang your life by it. And so ask your questions and seek the answers. But don't let the asking of really good questions be an endless evasion of the truth. Those questions are meant to drive you to the truth. And let me just say, if, if you are here today and you're finding yourself convinced, then maybe what you need to do is to take the very next step of following Jesus, to be baptized and, and to declare to others that you want to be a follower of Jesus and to follow in his footsteps. My friends, you owe it to yourself to come to terms with the identity and the mission of Jesus and to investigate the facts of his life. That's why Luke has composed his gospel, so that you may be certain about the things that have been said about Jesus. There's a fellow named Justin Brierley, and he has this podcast called Unbelievable, which I thoroughly enjoy. It's a podcast in which Christians and non-Christians get together, and he gets some really smart people on both sides of these questions talking about the issues that matter most. And he wrote this book called Unbelievable, also the name of his podcast. And the subtitle of his book is, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I Am Still a Christian. <laughs> this is a man who has heard the best objections to the Christian faith. These are the ones who have the, the sharpest surgical tools seeking to undermine the truthfulness of Jesus. And so he's written this book to explain why, having heard the very best arguments, he still finds himself utterly convinced about who Jesus is. And in this book, on the chapter on the resurrection, he writes this. As a Christian, my reality is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. It all begins and ends with him. His death 
is the defining act of love by a God who came in person to rescue and redeem his broken yet loved creation. And his resurrection is the breaking in of a new world where death, pain, and despair will one day be swallowed up in a glorious new creation. My friends, that's where we're we're designed to end up on this quest to understand who Jesus is and to answer this question about who do you say that I am? So let's ask and answer that question for ourselves. But let's also bow our knee before Jesus. If we get the kind of king that he is, the kind of king who loved us and gave himself for us, then we ought to be able to respond freely and gladly with bowing our knee before this one who loved us so much. The Apostle Paul, some of you may know his story. He was a persecutor of Jesus in his movement. And when the early disciples went around saying, Jesus has come back from the dead, he went livid and put, he actually oversaw the execution of the very first Christian. And he was on his way to arrest some Christians and have them thrown in prison. And he met the resurrected Jesus. And his life was utterly turned upside down. Jesus actually gave him the grace of being an ambassador for himself. And so he he wrote about half of our New Testament. And in that New Testament, there's this letter to Christians living in Philippi. It's called Philippians. And he says this about Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, my friends, if we understand who Jesus is and get his identity, the king who came to lay down his life for us ahead of the renewal of all things, then the the response we ought to have is to bow our knee before him, to humbly confess that he is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord of all. This is actually where Luke is taking us. In fact, we've been working our way slowly through this amazing gospel, but the very last sentence of Luke's gospel has him telling us that they, that is the people who witnessed this resurrection of Jesus, they worshiped him and return to Jerusalem with great joy. Luke is is hoping that we will get the connections in our mind, that we will be convinced of who Jesus is, that we will not only bow our knee before him, but that we will find our hearts drawn out in worship to this one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so to make this very applicable to our lives, my friends, I want to use the words of Peter. In writing to some Christians who are being persecuted, he told them to set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts. So I wonder if a a very real application of what we are discussing today might be that we resolve to daily, maybe the first thing that we do in the day, to consecrate ourselves to him, to set apart Jesus as Lord of our life this day. That we don't rely on yesterday's grace or past experiences. That this is a new day that he's given to us. And so, Jesus, I gladly set you apart as Lord of my life. You get to call the shots. May your will be done. May your wish be my command. How do you think things might change if we were to do that every single day? 
And let's, let's think about our time together here on Sunday mornings as an opportunity where we gather together with others to do this very thing, to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts, to gather together with other people who are getting who Jesus is and are finding themselves just drawn out in worship to him. Could we crown him as our king, as our Lord, weekly when we come together? I think that's one of the implications of, of understanding who Jesus is. So let's ask and answer this question for ourselves. Let's bow our knee before Jesus. And here's the last point of application. Let's engage in the mission of Jesus. If we understand who he is, then we, we need other people to get this as well. In fact, we find ourselves wanting other people to come to terms with who Jesus is. Now, it's interesting. In this gospel, Jesus calls his disciples to tap the brakes. He wants them to wait. He was going to go and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then he would spend 40 days with his disciples. And then he would tell them to go. Go and proclaim my gospel. And this is how Luke will tell us in the last chapter of this book it goes. Jesus says to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. In other words, the message of Jesus is meant to impact our lives and through our lives to begin to impact other people around us. And so I have an assignment for you this week. I'm not going to grade you on it. You can take it if you want. But let me ask you to maybe think about applying this time together in the scriptures in your life very particularly by asking someone this question this week. Who do you think Jesus was? Maybe you could say, you know, I was, I was hearing this message about Jesus and it was a, it was a story about the time when Jesus asked his disciples who, who they thought he was. And it got me to thinking, I wonder what people around me think about Jesus. What, what are your thoughts on Jesus? Or maybe you could say, you know, I heard this story about Bono, the time that he was put in front of cameras, and he was asked the question, who was Jesus? And he gave a really amazing response. I'm, I'm curious, what would you say in that position if someone were to ask you who Jesus is? Do you think maybe you might be able just to ask someone that question this week? It might be interesting to see where the conversation goes. When Bono was asked that question, and he gave what I thought was a really, really good answer, he had some follow-up questions, which you might get as well when you talk to people about Jesus. The question interviewer asked this question, so therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Bono answered, yes. And therefore it follows that you believe he physically rose from the dead. Yes, I have no problem believing in miracles. I'm surrounded by them. I am one. When you pray, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe he has made promises that will come true. Yes, I do. My friends, may you be given the grace to boldly and unashamedly answer the most important question in the world about the most important person in the world. Jesus, the most important person in the universe. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he has made promises that will come true.